Now, I got myself, everybody, into a mess because I've got a preaching that I don't have time to do in one day, which usually doesn't happen. And so it's looking like I'm going to have to take two weeks to do the same preaching, which is fine. We'll be here next week, so, you know, it all works out. Um, but uh, but uh, the, the first service, I gave part of the preaching. And then in the second service, I actually gave like half of the second preaching. And so next Sunday, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm just confusing myself all over the place. Um, but it, it's something that is so, so important and so essential. So last week, last week, I announced that today would be a day for healing. And that is absolutely the case. It has been and will continue to be. And, and God is, God is honestly, God is up to something. Um, I, I just heard and my wife heard um, yesterday about a university. Uh, I think it's called Asbury, Asbury University or college or something. That is literally right now experiencing revival from the Lord. They have been in three or four days of just continuous time of worship and preaching in the presence of God. They haven't left. I mean, people come and go, but they haven't stopped. They've just kept on going. And, um, and, and incredible things are going on right now. And I don't think it's, it's a chance or a random thing that we are in this similar season focused in on the presence of God and how God is moving with us and in us as a church. How many are grateful for the move of God in our lives and in our church? And um, so eight days ago on Saturday when I was preparing my message for last week, I sensed that the Lord told me that we needed to make room, that he wanted to do supernatural works of healing. So I announced it in the service and said that we're going to do it. But, but I got to be honest, when I announced it in the service, I, I still was kind of like, okay, God, is this actually going to happen? I, I, I feel like the gentleman whose son was demonized and, and the disciples couldn't, couldn't heal him. And, and Jesus goes up to the father and talks to them. And Jesus is like, do you believe? And the guy said, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Like I believe, but I'm not all the way there yet. And, and, and I was like, I believe Lord, but, but I'm not all the way there yet. And, and interesting enough, like I said on Sunday last week, the phrase the Lord gave me was make room. Say it with me one more time, make room. And on Tuesday, I was randomly, completely randomly online on YouTube. Um, I, I, I listened to some preachers, you know, around the U.S. and whatnot, because it's good to continue getting fed. And so I, uh, I, I had this YouTube page of one church that was open, and, um, and it's a pastor that I listen to some of his preachings every once in a while. And, and this was on Tuesday, and I was like, God... Um, no, I wasn't like God at all. I just, it occurred to me, I'm just going to refresh the YouTube page and see what this pastor preached on Sunday, like two days before, a week ago. And so I refresh the page and go figure the new preaching comes up from that pastor. And what was the title? Make room. And I was like, okay, God, you helped my unbelief. We're good to go. Let's make this happen. And what I want to do today is I want to actually talk about that, not that story, I already gave it, but I want to talk about the concept and set it as a foundation 
for who we are as God's people and how we operate. And while it has to do with healing, it is much bigger and much deeper than simply talking about healing. Our title of the, or theme of the year is In His Presence. Everybody say it with me, In His Presence. And um, we, we've talked about how in His presence is being face-to-face with God. And what I want to talk about today is what I see, what I see. And I'm going to ask you the same question, what do you see? What do you see? What is the Lord showing you? And let me be clear, because there's some people in this room, you're like, I don't think I've ever seen anything from God before. Well, he can show you. And there's others that you've seen things from God and you've heard things from God, but you're maybe in a bit of a dry spell on the hearing and the seeing part. And, and I want to talk about seeing that which God has for us. And I want to go to John chapter 5. And it, it starts with this miracle story. And, and I'm going to spend a couple minutes on it, but, but not very long. And right in verse 1 of chapter 5 of John, and it says this, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for how long does it say? 38 years. 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Now, my answer to that question would be like, "Uh, yes. But his answer was not that. In verse 7, watch this. He goes, I can't. See, that wasn't Jesus' question. Jesus did not ask him if he could be well. He just asked him if he wanted to be well. And his answer is, I can't, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. This is actually really interesting. Someone always gets there ahead of me. He's in this situation where an angel would show up and stir the waters and healing would happen for the first person that got into there. But what we see in this story is that this man was stuck, was stuck on only one way that healing could happen. And for 38 years, he had been waiting for the one way to happen to him. But then Jesus showed up. And last night at one in the morning, not joking, I was reading a book by Catherine Coleman. Some of you have heard of her. She was huge in the 20th century in miracles of healing and and whatnot and used incredibly by God. And, And let me just say, for those that might be in the room or watching online that are doubters about healing, I actually find her story to be so incredible because she actually made a decision. She was in Pennsylvania and she made a decision to not do events jumping from state to state or country to country, and she had a specific reason for this. She wanted to stay local where she was so that when people got supernaturally healed, they could get checked out by a doctor, and she could affirm that it was a legit healing by God. 
rather than being somebody that just jumped around from place to place and said, hey, over in India, all these people got healed, but nobody can check up with them, right? So she wanted it to be legit, and she wanted to make sure there was verification for what God was doing. And so she stayed most of her time in Pennsylvania doing ministry there. And, and so she was there. And, and one of the things that I found interesting, and you might be asking, why are you reading that book at one in the morning? Because I just wanted more faith. That, that's why. I was like, man, if I need more faith, I'm going to go to the people that had great levels of it, right? And so, um, I, and I'm reading it, and she said something so interesting, because she said, listen, I am not a person that is against doctors or medicine or anything like that, she said. In fact, I am pro all of that. And, and, and she affirmed something that was so powerful. Two things. She said, number one, well, she didn't actually say number one in the book, okay, that, that's me, but... Um, she said that we should not limit the way that God does healing work. Meaning if God with one blind man wants to spit in the ground and put some mud on a blind man's eyes and heal him that way, he can do it that way. But if he wants to just talk to another blind man, which Jesus did, and just talking to him, he heals him without even touching him, then Jesus can do it that way as well. Let me be clear, today we will be praying and we will be anointing you with oil. That's the way we're doing it today. But it's not the method. It's the God who does the healing. And, and let me be clear. We, we, we won't actually be praying a very long time. We're not going to take 20 minutes to pray for you. Because it's not the length of our prayer that does the healing. It is God that does the healing. And so, this man was limited according to what he believed was the only way for healing to come. So verse 8 says, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And verse 9, it says, instantly, somebody say it with me, instantly. This is sounding like the preaching last week of the paralyzed man. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened when? On the what? On the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. They wanted to rest, right, which was scriptural and biblical, to have a day of rest. The problem was they had put a whole lot of rules and laws about what resting was and what work was. And so it was against the rule to apparently carry your sleeping mat. And what these Pharisees didn't even recognize, these Jewish leaders did not recognize, was that this man had been sick for 38 years, which means he had had no rest for 38 years. Let me tell you something. The moment he's healed, carrying a mat is nothing compared to what he dealt with for 38 years. It's like, dude, I haven't had a Sabbath until now, and finally Jesus came, and he is my Sabbath rest. He healed my body. And you have an issue with me carrying a mat? Dude, I've dealt with much worse than carrying a mat for a long time. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. I'm sure Jesus is laughing at this. He's going, I'm the one that made the Sabbath, whatever. <laughs> you know? 
It's like, this is my business. And Jesus replied this way. Everybody read it with me. What does he say? My father is always working, and so am I. If you remember when Jesus was 12 years old, he said at the, around the temple when his parents came back to find him, he said, I must be about my father's business. I, I, I'm hoping today that some of you, many of you, all of us, could get to a place of rest in God where we recognize that I don't have any business. My business is the Father's business. I don't need to create anything. I don't need to make anything. I don't need to transform anything. That's God's job. I just get the honor of participating with him in what he is doing. And so often it's all dependent on us when it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. So he says, my father is always working. I'm working right along with him. Verse 18, so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, and I want you to read this together with me. What does he say? I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Now this right here is the core of my message. I want you to get this. I want you to understand it. I want you to believe it. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, literally says, I cannot do anything by myself. I don't heal anybody by my own decision. I don't free people from demonic oppression by myself. I do nothing by myself. In fact, I only do, somebody say only do. If there is one thing I do, I only do what I see the Father doing. My friends, I ask you, what do you see? What are you looking at? Because all Jesus saw was what his father was doing. Face to face with his father. He knew what his father was doing, and he said, if you're doing that, that's what I'm doing. Nothing more and nothing less. And he says, whatever, whatever is another word for like everything, right? Everything the father does, right? What does he say? The son also does. The problem that we have right now is that we got to, can, can I be like, can I be very blunt with everybody today? Okay, for the five of you and the rest of you, just put your headphones on and ignore me for a bit, all right? But if you can handle it, I'm going to be blunt. The problem that we have is that we're doing a lot of stuff, but we haven't seen the Father doing any of it. And we're busy creating strategies and busy creating plans and busy reading a whole bunch of books. And I am not anti-book. Read. I read. But reading a whole bunch of books to find what it is that we need to do. So if I'm gonna, I want to earn a million dollars, so I'm going to read ten books of people that have earned a million dollars and to do it like them. Can I tell you that you 
are living a broken life if you are looking at another human being to tell you how to get somewhere when you've got the God of the entire universe who you can look at what he does and follow that. Is anybody with me on that? And you're like, but, but does he have a way to show me to make a million? You bet he does. And if that's his call for your life, he'll show you exactly how to do it. The plan is God's plan. It's not somebody else's. I don't need to go stealing anybody else's church plan. I don't need to go stealing anybody else's strategic plan. I don't need to go just copying what somebody else does. And it's not that copying is always bad, but, but I don't need to do it out of some sense of desperation of trying to get where I want to go. All I need to do is get busy watching the Father. And what I see the Father doing, I do that. And let my friends, the reason I started with the story about Make Room is this, because I am not coming here today with some grand idea. I did not sit in some committee meeting where we sat down together and said, what should we do to get a whole bunch of people here? Oh, let's have a healing Sunday. That sounds like a great plan. Let's do it. No, none of it came from that. It came because I was walking in the presence of Jesus, and he showed me to do it, and I just said, okay, if that's what you want me to do, then that is what I'm going to do. And because of that, we've already had dozens of people healed today. I don't need to create the plans. God already has them. It's funny in Proverbs, it says man determines his steps. I mean, sorry, man makes his plans, but the Lord determines his steps. And I think it's so hilarious. Maybe we just figure out that we don't need to make plans anymore and just let God take care of it all and determine our steps and we're good to go. And sure, there's planning in the human realm, but not for the direction. The direction is the Father's. Jesus says this, for the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. I want to jump to John chapter 14. You know, in, in John 14, Jesus is telling the disciples that, that he's going to go and prepare a place for them. And um, he says, there's more than enough room in my father's house, in my father's home. And so his disciples are like, how in the world do we get there? Like, what do we do to get there? They're like, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus tells them a phrase that many here know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, now let me be clear. Is that an exclusive claim? Yes, it's absolutely an exclusive claim about divinity and salvation and all of that. But it's also a massively inclusive claim. What do you mean by that? How is the exclusive inclusive? Oh, it is. Because everybody else's method was 
to get to God, I have to do this, that, the other. There's a whole list of requirements that I have to fulfill. And Jesus is saying, no, just, just hitch a ride with me and let's go and you'll get there. There isn't some list of requirements you have to fulfill. Just believe in me and you'll get there. It's all good. And he removes the burden and he removes all the requirements that are human made of having to get there. And he just says, no, I'm the way. Just trust me and you'll get there. And we'll get to the Father. And so much of Scripture already tells us this. Paul's writings where he says that we got to think about where Christ is because where he is seated in the heavenly places and that we are hidden with Christ in the heavenly places, meaning you and I, our physical location is earth, but our soul location is supposed to be in the heavenly places where Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we live in his presence. Tell somebody to live in his presence. Come on, tell them, live in his presence. And so in verse 9, Jesus replies to Philip, and he says, you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What do you see, church? So why are you asking me to show them to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me, verse 10, if we could. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Did you hear that? Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and the words I speak are the Father's. I only speak what the Father speaks. Oh, Lord, if we could get to that place, how much better would our lives be? If we only spoke what the Father spoke rather than what Jeff wants to speak, our lives would be amazing. Our relationships would be amazing. This world would be incredible. And he says, just believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. He says, I tell you the truth. Oh, you got to read, read with this one. I tell you the truth. What does he say? Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Keep reading, 13. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. 14, yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And now, 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 come on, give an applause to God. We can give it to him. All right. Okay, but... The Lord has sent me on an assignment today to tell you something that he changed in me and helped me understand, and, and he wants us to understand it as well. Um, because you read a verse like that, ask me for anything in my name, and, and, and I'll do it. And you think, all right, Jesus, give me a Tesla. Five million dollars, a mansion in Jesus' name. Oh, it's done. It's done. No. See, you have to take the totality of who Jesus is together. You have to take it all, not just one little piece. Because if you realize, Jesus is saying, I only do what I see my father doing. 
I only speak what my Father speaks. So if I will ask anything in His name, it is because I am already seated in the presence of God, seeing what God is wanting to do. I am not randomly out here somewhere guessing at what God wants to do. I am living in His presence. There's no guesswork to this. And in fact, here's where I get really kind of real for some of us. You see, in, 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 in our world, in, in theology or doctrine, I don't want to go too deep in this, but, but basically, as it pertains to the gifts of the Spirit, there's kind of two groups of people, right? That there's what are people call themselves cessationists that believe that healing and tongues and all of these ceased a um, long time ago, 2,000 years ago. And then there's a group of Christians that believe that these are still in operation and we'll typically call ourselves Pentecostals or Charismatics and that is who we are. We believe that God heals today. We believe in the gift of tongues and gift of prophecy and, and in words of discernment and, and all the gifts that God gives and we believe they are in operation today, right now. But inside of our camp of people, is everybody with me right now? Inside of our group of people that believes that God does this stuff, a lot of us have a problem. And here's the problem. We'll, we'll pray for somebody and we'll go, okay, Lord, would you heal this person's cancer? Would you take it away? And then we say this phrase, watch this. Not my will, but yours be done. I want you to remove that phrase from your prayers from this point forward. Now, I know some of you are in the room thinking, wait a minute, wait, but, but isn't that phrase biblical? Oh, absolutely. Well, let me explain it. You see, Jesus, just before his death, is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and he's dripping blood, sweating blood, and he says, Father, if it's possible, would you take this cup from me? I got a question to ask all of you. Does Jesus know what his Father's will is for him? Absolutely. He knows he's about to go to the cross. It's why he's praying. Because he has been with the Father. And he's seen what the Father has told him to do. There is not doubt about the Father's plan. So then after that, he says, but not my will, yours be done about the plan you have already shown me. But for some reason, we have taken that phrase from there and we move it over to this place where we have no idea what God wants to do. And we're like, well, because I don't know what he wants to do, let me use this phrase because it's an easy out for me. I'll be like, well, God, uh, since I don't know what you want, not my will, but yours be done. And it sounds really humble and really nice. You want to know what's really humble? What is actually legitimately humble and submissive is for you and I to get into the presence of the Father and to sit there with Him and say, God, what are you doing? And I'll just do that. Because it's not my will, it's yours that needs to be done. So show 
me what to do. We are here today because the Lord showed me what to do. We are here today with a whole bunch of people healed in their arms because the Lord in the second service showed me or told me what to say. And all I did was just say what he said to say. I'm not making anything up. I'm not creating anything. I remember. We're going to get him to our church. Uh, Luis, Pastor Luis, who's also a prophet and... um, he only speaks Spanish, but I, th- I think we'll get, we'll translate the whole deal, but he's amazing. And, and he, he's, he's a good friend of ours. And when we were in Texas, he happened to be a speaker. That's where we met him. And, um, and we were in a service and he called us to sit in the front row. And I'm like, what is going on? Maybe he wants my help during his preaching or something, you know? And, and there's like, you know, 2,000 youth in the room. It was like a youth conference thing. And we sit in the front, and then he starts prophesying to us. And he starts going through our names. He calls out Caleb's name. He calls out Sophia and her middle name, Angelina. Sorry, Sophia, everybody knows now. And, um, and he calls it out. Nobody had told him our kids' names. Nobody had told him the middle names. It was revealed to him by the Lord himself. And we're sitting there going, okay, I think God is speaking, right? How does that happen? Because he's a man who lives in the presence of God. And that which he sees the Father doing, that's what he does. That's what he, what he hears the Father saying, that's what he says. It's a much less confusing life. It's actually a whole lot easier to just, I don't have to run the ship. I can just let him do it and live with him and walk with him and just say, hey, Jesus, where are you going today? That's where I want to go. Hey, Jesus, what are you doing today? That's what I want to do. What words are you saying today? That's what I want to say. And you will see how the power of God will be manifest in your life. And so my friends, today we're here, and I want this to be absolutely clear. And I'm gonna continue this preaching next week. I'm not done yet. We're gonna be going to Ezekiel chapter 37, which is the river of God flowing out of the temple. And if you want to, you should read it before we get there. Okay, read it before we get there. Book of Ezekiel, the river of God, it is so important. I'm going to preach on that next week, continuing uh, what I see part two. Okay, is that good for everybody? And, um, and, but I'm asking the question, you might have thought when I said this title, you might have thought that I'm about to share with you some great vision. No, no. It's not some great vision that I have. I'm just sharing with you the simple fact that the more that you walk with Jesus, the more you will see. The more you spend time with him, the more he's going to show you. And then just do what he shows you, and everything will turn out exactly how it needs to turn out. Does anybody believe that today? Amen. By the way, Ezekiel chapter 47, not 37, my mistake. We're here today because Jesus spoke. And we're just simply obeying and saying, not my will but yours be done because he already showed us what to do and that's what we're doing and let me be very clear 
there isn't a big strategic plan about how to obtain this. You know why? Because God already promised it. And if God promised it, it comes true, period. In fact, Scripture says that even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. So maybe like you had a bad week this week. Maybe you treated some people bad or maybe you did some wrong things. God is still faithful. He said he's going to heal, so he's going to heal. He's going to do it. Now, it's a good idea to come to God and be like, I screwed up. That's fine. But God's still going to heal because he's God. And he gave the word and we're going to do it. It's not the power of our prayers. In fact, um, our, our pastors and our council will be praying for people. I'll be there praying for a few people. It's not the power of our prayers. It's not about me. It has nothing to do with me. And it's not about um, how long the prayer is. Nobody's going to get a very long prayer. Because you don't need a long prayer. You know why you don't need a long prayer? I'll tell you why. Here it is. You ready? Because I've already spent a long amount of time in the presence of Jesus where he told me what's he, what he's going to do. So I don't need a long time to figure out right now what he's going to do because he's already said it. Anybody with me? It's not like God's going, well, no, this time you need to pray for each person for 20 minutes before. I hit. No. I already spent that time with him. And he's going to do it. So it's not going to be a long prayer. It's not going to be anything showy. We're just going to pray. And God's going to do some miracles today. Does that sound like a plan to anybody? So would you stand up with me in this moment? I'm going to invite our um, pastors and our council to come up here, council members and pastors, and join me up here on the, on the platform. And um, platform, on the step, on whatever it is. And... Um, We'll start praying in just a moment, but if you want to be prayed for, I just want to invite you for whatever sickness you have that you need healing for, just come up right to the front. We made room right here, right now. Just come up to the front. We got room for you. 